Welcome to the second episode of the Chasing Covey's podcast hosted by Hunter Pravat and Jordan Cottle. In today's episode, we are joined by Darrell Smith of the Sporting Life Notebook and Minority Outdoor Alliance. We had the opportunity to sit down with Darrell to talk about the programs that he is spearheading, uh, his string of bird dogs, the importance of mentors in the uplands, and we even got a little bit of insight in the field trial that Darrell ran just a couple weeks back. This was definitely a fun episode to sit down and record. Thank you to everybody who was able to listen to the first episode and give us a little bit of feedback. It's very helpful to hear back from you guys so we know what to do better. But without any other delay, I'm going to turn this over into the episode. Y'all keep chasing coveys. But yeah, first off, thank you, thank you uh, for joining us. You know, uh, yeah. this is our, I guess it's our kind of first run with a guest, kind of dive off the deep end here in this in this podcast. I guess, hey man, it's the way I got into bird dogs, going off the deep end. So I might as well go ahead and learn from you yeah. know somebody that we look up to in in the podcast game. You know, uh, you know, every time you drop an episode, it's okay. one of the first first things that I uh, I do to make sure I, I listen to it. Usually I try to make sure I got me a long car ride ahead and I can uh, do nothing but listen to it. But um, yeah. <laughs> obviously, we, you know, we, we Darrell Smith of the Sporting Life Notebook and the Minority Outdoor Alliance. Um, you know, basically, Darrell, you know, everybody knows who you are. Well, most people, they don't. And I don't know why they would be listening to me and not listening to you. But, <laughs> but you know, um, give us give us a little background, you know. Uh, who's Darrell Smith? You know, uh, what's, the, what's the Sporting Life Notebook? Obviously, you've kind of made a, a big brand change here in the last mm. year and a half, two years. Uh, well, I guess really most of the last year. But, uh, you know, formerly the Gundog Notebook. but uh, And then you guys, you and your wife and others have started the minority outdoor alliance and uh, kind of give us a little rundown of those those two organizations and then we'll uh, and then we'll dive in okay all right well first of all thank you for having me on um you know i i always enjoyed chatting with you and of course sharing the field which we haven't been out uh, you know one time and you know i got me cool hat out of it too um <laughs> but no man i i i appreciate being here so i'll start with the sport and life notebook because you know sport life notebook that that's my for-profit and that is really the lifestyle that i pretty much built everything around and has since now transformed into quite a bit of an outdoor media company i guess if if that's what i want to call it um you know bringing the unlikely to the outdoors is that main objective that main mission that main you know thing of pursuit and it really started man like from obviously the gun dog notebook that was the original brand and the original name and you know the podcast and all of that but and it just started when i guess the sport and life notebook it changed when the conversation of what we were doing and our impact changed you know it was about you know, finding unlikely stories and showcasing that and telling that. And I started noticing that, you know, through some of the work that I was doing through my podcast as, as it, as it grew and evolved. Um, but really, man, it, it was about documenting your process. 
And that's what it's still about. Like it's, it's about sharing the sporting life and whatever that means to people, you know, for me, it's bird dogs and, and their development and conservation now and being involved in that arena. But, you know, it's really journaling and documenting that process and sharing that, you know, uh, sharing that with the world and, and, and opening yourself up to always learning, right? Like that's the whole reason why I went up to see Mike Hesser this weekend, always learning, you know, and now documenting and, and, and talking about that journey. Um, and even his story, again, another very unlikely story based on his history. And I'll talk about that, uh, later in, uh, you know, some writing that I have coming up, but the sporting life notebook, we we're doing a lot of different things. We're, 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 we're guiding hunts. Of course, there's the infield piece of it. Um, there is the podcast, there's the, the literary parts. Um, there is the story of my kennels. You know, things like that, that we're bringing to the forefront and having a conversation and sharing those stories about now with Minority Outdoor Alliance. So that's a different, almost, uh, not even almost a different in, 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 in very, it's a, it's a, the pursuit that grew out of the responsibility of having the platform that I do Minority Outdoor Alliance you know, in that we are trying to cultivate inclusivity um, for a healthier outside. I mean, simply put, celebrating individuals that want to be heavily involved in hunting, fishing, outdoor pursuits, and the conversation of conservation, like bringing, you know, minorities to, you know, having more hands on deck so we can protect the places that we all want to hunt and fish and figuring out what's keeping and preventing, you know, you know, these demographics from being engaged in the outdoors. And like I said, I just feel like having the platform that I've built and developed, like that's the next thing is, is starting to give back and, and do that outreach. And so we're doing that. We're having a bunch of different events like uh, August 26th through the 28th. We're having our second annual um, Minority Outdoor Alliance Festival. And that's just, you know, it's game fair style and it's at Orvis Purcell Farms in Silicon, Alabama. And like we're celebrating different talents and things like that in the outdoors and trying to educate people too, you know, on why all of this stuff is important for our landscape, whether it be for climate change, whether it be for conservation, wildlife management, things like that. You know, one thing that I noticed is we don't have enough minority populations involved in those conversations. So how can we really say we care about the outdoors when everybody isn't involved? Right. You know, and so that's that's that pursuit with Minority Outdoor Alliance. We're doing, you know, we've got a lot of different initiatives coming up. Um, we've got a Learn to Hunt initiative with uh, Pheasants Forever, where we're teaching like you know, aspiring and passionate adult onset hunters, how to go upland bird hunt. And we want to catch people where it matters, like representation matters and expertise matters. You know, you got to, again, we were talking about mentorship. You got to partner, you know, people up with people that know. Yeah. Because and so through I that mean, program, we're linked up. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, just to piggyback off of that mentorship. I mean, it's hard. Like if you don't have a mentor, like, especially here in the Southeast, mm -hmm. like, you know how hard it is to go out 
on a, especially mm-hmm. if you have a dog that's your, it's your first dog. You got no idea where you can go. Well, you can look on, you know, Georgia DNR website. If you're in Georgia there with you, you can look on NC wildlife. If you're here with us, you can find places right. to go, right? You got no idea what quail habitat looks like. If you're quail hunting, what woodcock right. habitat looks like, what's your dog supposed to do? Yeah. You know, right. everybody sees the picture of, you know, the, the dog on point watching the cubby rise, things like that. But it, nobody shows you, nobody shows you the two years of work or the three years of work that went into that dog before you got to that point. So that you know, may or may not have been effective. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, it, it may have taken four it's years. years. It wasn't might not know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think that's one thing with, with us here. Um, you know, as, as we grow, obviously we are, we do not have anywhere near the following that you do. Hopefully we will get to that point. I, you will, you will. And thank you for, but thank you though, but you will, it is all good. That's something, you know, that, that is near and dear to my heart. And I think it for both of our heart though, is I feel like that we, as a team, we didn't have it like before, like, and I mean, I, I would consider you one of my mentors, um, looking at all your stuff and things of that nature, but like, before like I met you and started talking to you through the cell of, you know, basically we got together through a cell of a dog, you know, with Ann. Um, and we can get mm-hmm. into that. Or yeah. we can, you know, basically that's how me and Darrell met quick little story there. You know, he posted Ann for sale. I want to say it was like last September, August, yeah. September, somewhere in that range. Um, and as soon as he posted, I was like, Come on. <laughs> Hey man, you still got that dog. <laughs> 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 But <laughs> it wasn't four hours later, man. No, nah, man, I was ready to come get her. I'd have come get her that day if you had told me I could get there. <laughs> I was like, "All right, shit, she here." She I was like, "She ain't going nowhere. She's here." So, you know, you still made a way. <laughs> but, uh, but, but all that to say, you know, us. I feel like we didn't we didn't have a mentor. Um, you know, somebody. And look, I'm not saying. I, I think it's made us better like for us trying to figure this stuff out. But I want to make mm-hmm. sure that my job and Jordan's job as a team here is to bring whoever, you know, not to steal your, bring the, bring the unlikely story, but bring whoever it is to the outdoors, you know, to the bird dogs to show them this, show them that. That's why I feel like yeah. if anybody reaches out to me, like tell me when and where and I'll meet you there. Like, let's get it. Yeah. That's yeah. really how it should be, man. When it comes to, you know, getting people involved, like hell, I cold called my mentor, man. I straight from Atlanta to Thomasville, like looked in the yellow pages, right? And buddy picked up and was like, "Come on down." And it was just that, like this man did not have to take the time. You know what I'm saying? At sixty, sixty something odd years old, did not have to take the time to answer my call or invite me to learn, but still hop skipped and made away and has since been one of the greatest impacts on me. So why wouldn't I do that for somebody else? And why would I not want to build a program or a lit or a number of programs that are going to keep facilitating that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, I think like, that's hell, what it is. Reason we've, me and you have kind of hit it up. It's just, we've got to do that, man. If you, there's not going to be any, especially here in the Southeast. I mean, it's different out in the Midwest and out in the Western parts of the United States, but here in the Southeast, like we need people that are willing to work 
Right. Right. No, I mean, we've, it's again, it's all hands on deck, man. And and part of that is modeling that for, right. Like, you know, having that reach and exposure and all of that stuff, that's all great, well, and good, but what are you doing at home? Right. Like talk about kids. Like I got two kids right now, my daughter and my son that are outside every day and they're learning and experiencing and, and, and embracing and enjoying the outside, like the outdoors, like, through that, you you start teaching them that way, you know, teaching them what bird dogs are and how to, you know, deal with them. Like that's been a lot, a large part of me as a, a dad and as a, a, a handler too, is making sure I keep up with my responsibility on educating the next generation. And that's not just, you know, being the being blessed to be a role model for guys like you, right? Like that's also in my own house, like. Bro, everything can be cool on the outside, but what what's what's going on inside? You gotta you gotta model that like everywhere, like and be learning. The the thing about this whole thing, man, and, and you talk about, you know, chasing coveys, I love it because like I love that name because it when I think of a covey of Bob White's like Everybody is always looking for that next great flush, right? That and I've had last season, my me and my buddy Dawson experienced that, like that huge twenty-five bird cubby flush on public land and all of that stuff. And then other days had let's say you're always chasing that thing, right? You're always having something to aspire to. Like you gotta you it, it it's like you accomplish one thing when you chase and cubby's like, all right, there's more work to do. There's a, there's more opportunity out there to share that with people. You know, that's why I think that name is dope, man. Like it, it really does give you something to aspire to. Right. Exactly. It's a, it's a thing where, you know, just invite people to get more people outside, whether they take up bird hunting or they take up bird dogs or, or whatever the case may be, they may be the next person that goes into Congress and helps you pass a bill to keep some land public or whatever the case may be. You never know. You know, just think about, you know, presentation and how you are showing yourself, you know, as a, a, a sportsman or sportswoman and like not being, not creating division, man. Like there's so much recreational outrage. I'm, that's, I think that was a Stephen Rinella term. But there's so much recreational outrage, particularly about a dog. And like, we we, we got to look out for each other, man. Like, keep folks accountable and, and let folks know when when things aren't on the up and up. But like, let's let's quit with the 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 the, you know, that recreational outrage piece. It just, you know, just because somebody does something a little bit different than what you do try to understand it. Don't say it's wrong. Right. Like, right. I've, I've, I've had to take, you know, a bit of a, 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 a non-traditional route, you know, to my own, in my own path, especially recently, you know, as far as even the type of horse that I just bought, like you have to understand people's direction and trajectory based on the circumstances that, that they live in, that they're a part of, that they're involved in, and and the way that their life shapes out so when we're mentoring people you have to consider that like you have to consider encouraging people in spite of their odds like 
figuring out new ways and new strategies into getting people involved, you know, in a way into the depth that they want to do and not scrutinizing them because they didn't take the same path or the, the traditional path. Right. I mean, look at, look at me and you. I mean, obviously you're from Atlanta. Like I'm from mm -hmm. a little small town in North Carolina. Like we definitely did not have the same path, but here we are today talking about it and wanting to make sure that we continue to involve as many people and no matter what their career or career or life path uh, has led them to that point. You got to recognize when somebody has a, a similar passion and desire for things and how y'all can, you know, you know, mutually sharing that joy and sharing that knowledge, right? Like you and I talk dogs all the time and, and, critique each other's work and things like that based on the sale of a, of a dog, you know, and, and further conversations and further interest in just each other's general, you know, vibe about a dog, you know, and more of that needs to happen. You know, that's how, it, and it's, and, and having a thicker skin about a dog too, man, like, Looking at your goals, like I, I say on an individual level, like what I would like to see people do is look at your goals, like look at what do you really want to do, right? Like in the uplands, like what what do you really want your larger impact to be and like seriously chase that, you know, like seriously chase that because like more of that would lead to more creativity and diversity in the outdoors because frankly you're going to get more uh diversity of thought right but you know and, and that still means honor tradition like everything a lot of what i do is very traditional but i've had to go about it in a different kind of way which then makes it non-traditional in that and that's okay like I want to make sure that every, in order for our traditions to continue, particularly in bird dogs, we got to bring folks in that otherwise might not have known how to do it, but we got to empower, you know, a certain kind of mindset in someone to be like, you know what, screw this. Like, yeah, I live on a, you know, two story apartment building and I got, I don't know, I want a pointer, right? Like, what does that journey look like for that person? But I don't know, man. I think I think it's just important to recognize where people are and supporting them on that journey and encouraging them to achieve and and and, and further be a part of hunting wild birds and upland experiences in spite of the odds. Right. I mean, we have to continue to power everybody and and get everybody because i mean the biggest thing is we've got to be a community um you know it all ties back to the more the more people we have doing it um the better people you're going to get doing it the more ideas you're going to get you know to make things better um the more just diverse backgrounds you get the more diverse diverse backgrounds you get the better off you're going to be coming up with these ideas of conservation and, and ways to recruit people, um, to continue doing things of that nature. Um, you know, I think that's why, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your, your programs, which you're going to be using with, um, quail forever and pheasants forever. 
with your your hunt to learn program um give us a little bit of a, a rundown with what you're doing there yeah man so um and thanks for asking about that so we're we're gonna have the first event in colorado in september we're gonna have a second in nebraska in october now the N- nebraska one we've got locked down um at pheasant uh pheasants banana pheasant bonanza um it'll be put on by alps outdoors partnership with them um we've got the next one coming up in pennsylvania in november we'll be in south carolina in december and then georgia in january um that's the the tentative schedule um i want to make sure everything lines up with the season dates and things like that of course but you know we're looking for mentors man and we're looking for for people that are interested in you know being a part of the program and learning as well you know so we uh pheasants forever i mean you know all the expenses and stuff like that you know we want to make sure those are taken care of we want to create very few if any opportunities or any or we want to we want to knock down any barriers is what i'm trying to say we want to knock down any barriers to entry that would prevent someone from being in the outdoors um and pheasants forever has just laid the foundation for it and kindly asked me to join in on that initiative that's awesome i mean it you know, I think those programs, I think we need more of those programs, you know, um, obviously Quail Forever and Pheasants Forever, they're, you know, a national organization. I think those things, you know, chapters like NAVDA and AKC, they do, you know, testing and things of that nature, and they do handling clinics and training days and things like that. But I think something like, something like the program that you guys are doing is, it's it's new it's fresh i think it's a new perspective um and i think it'll get a, a lot of people involved or at least i sh- i hope it does um because yeah. those you know like you said we've got to break down those barriers and get everybody involved as much as we can and i think you know i love the way that they're doing it you know it's not just in one area of the country i think that's something that falls falls by the wayside too is you know a lot of your, one of my main reasons for this podcast too is, you know, is to focus on the Southeast. You know, you are, you know, there's very few people that, in my opinion, that do a very good job of covering the Southeast and the bird hunting opportunities that we have here. You know, obviously you're at the top of that list, but like, there's not a whole lot other than that. Like, I feel like the Southeast region of the United States is, oh, well, they used to have birds. They don't have them anymore. We're going West. Man, that's fine. Go west. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I second that. Go right on west. Yeah, you, go right on west. Go ahead. Bye. But you, 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 <laughs> I'll stay here. You know what I'm saying, though? Like, like you, I'm sure that you No, I know what you're saying. Go. Look, I know what you're saying, but, Hunter, go west. That's fine. Go. Yeah, y'all got it. I, 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 <laughs> I, there's not any birds in South Georgia. Don't go down there. <laughs> everybody obviously the culture where you are especially in southwest georgia in thomasville those areas like the quail culture is there and obviously you have the the big plantations and things of that nature but if me and you were at pheasant fest and you know we're walking around and we were talking to people and you know people come up were to come up to us and they say 
you know, where are you guys from? And you were to say Georgia and I was to say North Carolina and you say, you know, what do y'all hunt? And, and we said quail. They'd look at us like we were crazy. In, in my opinion, the Southeast is totally forgotten about. Like everybody's Midwest to Western you, states. You got you to gotta come down here to, to really say you broke a dog. I agree. All right, you do. You got to come down here. If you are at all interested in the, the history and culture of bird dogs, you didn't break your dog until you got a covey of wild South Georgia Bob whites, like in your face, you know? Yep. Like you, you, that, that, that there is a must because we've had such an impact on the history and legacy, legacy of bird dogs. Like, bro, we were the originals. Right. I mean, if I'm talking about dogs that came from the Northeast, but the dogs that really set the trend as far as history and really changed the game were Southern pointers. You know what I'm saying? And everything is modeled off of that. Yeah. I mean, it's like <laughs> there's something different about a Southeastern. Like, I've been to Georgia. Obviously, I hunted with you this past year. Uh, I've hunted in North Carolina. Like, I've been out west a little bit, not a whole lot, but I've been out west. There's just something different about running behind, especially me now. Like I've grown more in the tradition of the pointer game and things of that nature. But like, there's just something different with the piney woods, North Carolina, mm -hmm. Georgia, South Carolina, Florida is a little bit different. I mean, but still, I mean, like. Those those states like there's just something different about watching a covey rise over a dog in the piney woods. Like, there's a different kind of spirit about it, man. And that's why I say you want to come down here, you gonna get, you gonna get Geechee, you gonna get, uh, you you gonna get uh, Southern Baptist, you gonna get um, Red Clay, right? You gonna get Low Country, you gonna get all of that coming down here to the south and, and, and these birds and this terrain and, and everything that goes between them dogs paws man like that is a certain kind of grit that persists down here it's a different kind of culture um it's like you said it's i mean it's spiritual like yeah like i'm just that kind of person too so pardon me if i sound like real like superstitious because i am and i take pride in that like there's I, I believe in the spirit of the woods and all of that stuff and and that is what helps propel me and and makes me feel good about being out there in the woods is knowing that i'm engaging with that spirit that is building on these creatures that i'm putting my hands into you know, and I'm I'm trying to not only harness a certain kind of force, but I'm trying to improve on that that same force and objective as well. Yeah, I mean it's it's where we go to find um, to find our church, so to speak. You know, we all still may go to church on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever the case may be, but or we don't. Whatever you know, you do, you do, you don't, you don't. That's that's your decision. But you know, it's just there's something spiritual about walking in the woods um, no matter what you're hunting. But I just feel like here in the Southeast, when it comes to bird dogs, it's, it's more spiritual than it is in the West. And I'm not knocking the West. I mean, I love going out West. I go, I, I, I'm going out in the West this season. 
you know, like, ain't, you know, you got to hunt the West too. Oh, yeah. Because that's a different kind of exposure for the dog. Like, that's just the form. That's the PhD education. <laughs> but at the end of the day, or that's the master's level education. The PhD, I don't know what that looks like. But, like, to say that you passed, to say that you, you're degreed, you come through the South first. I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know how to put it into words, to be honest with you. I just think that, you know, it's just different. Like, people need to come experience it. Like, and if people want, yep. you know, I'm sure, obviously, they can reach out to you. Um, they can reach out to me. I'd be happy to take some people here in North Carolina because there's nothing. Well, well and, and I was going to say, man, I want to know about your guide experience, dude. Like, you know, how has that been? Like, do, do people know what your start was to that? I don't think I do. No. So, <laughs> so I mean, like, so our, my first guiding experience was this past season. Um, it was, it was a guy, but it wasn't a guy at the same time. Um, we met a guy that I think you've talked to on Instagram as well. Uh, I'm sure he won't have a problem. He's actually going to be one of our guests coming up. Um, Steve Desario out of New Jersey. Um, we knew some, we knew some, some fellow people that, um, he was good friends with up in, uh, the Winston-Salem area and knew he was going to come down. Uh, I think he was supposed to come down and hunt with you. And then you guys had some issues or you, I think you guys got COVID. Yeah. I ended up getting COVID. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, but anyway, he, uh, you know, he, he wanted to come down. Um, you know, he's really gotten into chasing, um, you know, up in New Jersey, they stock all their all their birds and um, well, they stock quail and pheasants on public lands and things of that nature. But um, you know, anyway, he he wanted to come down and hunt, um, and he reached out to me and said, "Hey, it was just a simple message. Hey, you know, I know you guys quail hunt a lot. You know, not looking for your hot spots, but what do I need to look for? I've got like two days." Message him back. I straight up just said, "Look, come with us." Like I would be more than yeah. I. Personally, the, with the level I'm at right now, I can show you better than I can tell you. Yeah. You know, um, I said, "Hey, let's go." So, it'll be an. Ex it was an experience that I will never forget. You know, we we got it all worked out. You know, he calls me on his way down. Hey, I'm running like 30 minutes late. Cool, no worries. Like me and Jordan, we're already at our spot that we had picked out. Like we were good to go. We get out of the truck. We're walking around, just hanging around. We've got Woodcock peeting all around us. We've got probably five minutes before he pulls in, a bob, a covey of birds sounds off. I'm talking like 50 yards from a truck drill. I mean, like, wow. sounded like they were so close, I could have threw a rock and hit them. Wow. So, you know me, like, I'm thinking, <laughs> dude, we, we got a slam dunk. I'm about to show this dude I know what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah, this is what happened like that. Right. <laughs> so... We're going to get right in. We about to get, it's going to be real. We're about to jump in off the deep end. Oh, man. He gets there, load him up, tell every, tell him about, you know, hey, man, we got a couple of birds, like, within 100 yards of us. He doesn't believe us. We dropped the dogs. We hunted this property from 7.30 in the morning till, I don't know, we, I think we ended up about 4 o'clock that afternoon. But, um it took us until about three o'clock that afternoon to finally find, we went back to the spot we started at that morning and we found that covey of birds. Wow. The, 
That's how it is. The best part, I will tell you, the best part about that day was this guy had been to Kansas. He had put up, I think he said they put up like close to 20 coveys that week he was in Kansas and never harvested. Yeah. Like whether it was bad shooting, whether it was, you know, he's a dog guy too. So like whether his dogs broke on the floor, like whatever the case may be, just never right. harvest a bird. For us to go in, and the best part was the last part of that day, I said, look, let's just let's just go run that one little spot before we leave. Like, I know we found birds. Like, we had been cut off by other hunters all day, and it was just, it was a, it was a challenging day. But to watch him shoot a, right. a covey, or shoot into a covey, and he killed a single out of it, um, to watch that was, that right there showed me, like, I want to do that. Like I want to guide. Like I want to be able to experience people's first. You that know, moment. Yeah. It's, but that's what, what it gets me so fired up when people say, "Well, there's no birds in North Carolina." Okay, come here and I'll show you. Like, and that. Right. I don't want that to come off as arrogant, but it's it's. No, I, I mean, I, but you 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 should be, you should be up for the challenge though. That's the best part about it. Yeah, I think that's something that me and you, you know, me and you have talked about. You know when it comes to guiding, like there has to be some aura about you that you are, okay, well, let me show you this, or, you know, let me show you what my dogs can do. I'll show you that we've got birds here because we do. Right. No, it's not like Kansas where you're going to go out there and find six or eight coveys, 10 coveys a day. But I mean, we've had days we found three or four coveys a day. Um, you just got to put the time in and you got to figure it out. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the first day. experience, or our first experience as guy. Mm-hmm. Jordan was with me all day that day as well. Um, I mean, it was just, it was probably the, the, the day, as far as North Carolina goes, that was probably my most memorable haunt of the year, like being able to do that with that jump with Steve. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That's cool. And we got it all. Well, shoot. I beat it all. Yeah, and the funny part was Jordan stepped back. He's had really? with him, and he just – Set a shotgun off to the side and uh, videoed the whole thing. Nice. Yep. Okay, that's cool. Well, that's that's monumental, man. Like that's that that's something you should definitely be proud of. Yeah, I mean, this is. I don't know. It was one of those things to me. It was a light bulb situation. Like it was like that right there was worth more than anything. Like obviously, you know, the background I had going into the season, the kind of the shitty situation that we got into. Um, with another gentleman, I'm going to go into all that, but like it, it made us better people as guides and what for yeah. yeah. nature and, and then being able to, to prove, cause I mean, I'll tell you all day, you know, we had bad breaks all day long mm-hmm. as we were going into that or hunting yeah. that day. And, you know, I, obviously I've never done it before. I'm like, I suck at this. Like <laughs> I can't do this. Like, it was, we hadn't been skunked on this piece of property the entire year. We've hunted it probably eight times at this point, And, like, we were just getting our bucks kicked. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't deserve to take this guy hunting. And then it just it just shows you, like, keep pushing. Like, you can do it. I mean, and that, that's all it is. Just keep keep messing around and keep, keep just doing your thing. That's all it takes, you know. Um, and keep finding and keep trying to make a way. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things that, and like I said, the southeast you you just got to put your time in. Like mm-hmm. you got to be willing to to kick some dirt 
and walk and, and find your, you know, it's like you said with the bird dogs, like if you've got a bird dog and you can find birds here in the Southeast, you got a bird dog that can hunt anywhere in the country, I believe. It's tough, and you, but but that doesn't mean don't take your your dogs anywhere else. Like you gotta you gotta put them in the birds. You gotta get them that experience. For sure, and that's why we always, uh, you know, that's why we always try to pick somewhere different. You know, our first year we dove off the deep end. We went to Michigan. We went grouse and woodcock hunting. Last year we went to South Dakota pheasant hunting. This year we're gonna go to Kansas, um, go quail and pheasant hunting in Kansas. Um, maybe prairie chickens, um, and then. We'll be down in South Georgia again at some point this year as well. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be real good. Oh yeah, I'm looking forward to that trip for sure. That'll be good. Speaking of trips, what you got? So, let's see. I am planning to go to Montana. Um, that's that's in the plan this season. Um, I'm doing a guided hunt uh, for backcountry hunters and anglers with my buddy Ed Arnett, um, and we'll be doing that uh, out in Colorado. If I'm not mistaken, it's Colorado. Um, we, dang, well, of course, you know Georgia. I've got, you know, the learn to hunt opportunities, so. I'm going to see if I can sneak in some hunting in, in each of those, you know, states, like on public land, if I can do a day or two. Yeah. Um, hmm. North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah. Coming up there. Um, I actually want to get after y'all's woodcock. So I've got a pretty busy season, man. Um, whether it's for educational opportunities or, or, or you know, personally hunting. I got a lot of, of, of really good opportunities to develop some really nice dogs. Well, it's like you said, you know, you got to be able to put your dogs in all these different situations to see what you really got. You know, I think you, obviously your, your goal is you want to be able to have your own kennel and your own breeding program at some point, no matter what scale that is, you got to be able to prove that your dogs can do it anywhere in the country. Right. But Hey, you Talk about we'll we'll do us a little North Carolina woodcock and uh, quail hunt. You just come on up. Oh, I'm a I'm a I'm gonna do just that. Um, I've got a spot in North Carolina that I actually want to go back to to see if I can't if, to see how well that woodcock spot held. I hadn't been there since we filmed uh, Public Grouse with uh, Project Upland and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. Um, when we filmed that, it was with my buddy Mike Nadusky um, and Will Sensing. Yeah. And uh, there was a spot that we found that was just a woodcock hole. And so I logged it in my Onyx, and I want to go see if it still holds as well as it does, as well as it did, you know, when I've been there. Right. You you just let me know when you come in, and we'll uh, we'll hit all the all the spots we can find. We'll we'll put you on some quail too. Absolutely, absolutely, we'll do that, man. What is your uh, what's your one species that like stands out to you that you want to hunt that you haven't mm. got to? Uh, that I haven't got to hunt. I would say 
I want to hunt Mexican quail, man. Like I want to hunt right across the border, Mexican quail. Elegance. Uh, I think those are what what kind of desert quail? Are, I think they're Mern's quail out there. They're of course Bob White's. Yeah, um, and I think you gotta go to like uh, like Sonora and find. Like, and I want to hunt Montezuma quail too. That's another one that I want to hunt. Yeah. Yeah, that's my that's something that's in the near future. A quail slam to just go hunt all these species of quail. I uh I'm trying to go out with my setter, my male setter's breeder, uh, Paul, out to New Mexico to hunt some of those desert birds, um, to do that. So that's on my bucket list of things to do also. And you're talking Paul Cook with Otter Fork? Yep. Yep, yeah, yep. I don't know if I've even told you, but I've got. I think I actually. I think we talked about it, but I've got. Um, I'm going to drive up to Wisconsin and at the end of June and drop off my male pointer with him for a couple of months. Yep, you 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 told me that. Yeah, I'm glad, man. He Paul Paul does it right, man. He uh, I'm really excited to have a dog from him and from his breed and his uh, female uh, setter uh casita nicknamed z i just really like the way that dog looked and it and so he bred it with uh kaladin's da vinci an incredible setter um and so i've got this rocket fuel of a pup man and i'm really excited to develop that dog i'm really excited to get introduced that dog to this horse that's what i'm i'm looking forward to yeah that's a big dog <laughs> He's a big dude. He is a big dog. Yeah, that dog that you, he's out of is uh, she's. I, I follow along with all his stories and things of that nature, Facebook, Instagram. But he, uh, that is a hell of a dog. I mean, he she is doing stuff, and she might not necessarily win every trial, but she, the story. She just won uh, her last trial. Uh, in montana it was let me think about it she uh she just won because she had a streak where she was getting like really close she was getting like uh what oh the uh open shooting dog at the minnesota grouse dog association so that was their open shooting dog trial, and she won that. Yeah, and then he just posted, yeah. I think it was today, actually, about her getting, he lost her because it was so windy, and she stood on point for like 15 minutes on a woodcock. <laughs> yep. She's just an incredible dog. That's why when she was a pup, I was like, oh, I need to, I got to, I got to do this. So I, uh, it was like two years before she had a litter, and I was, I was on the list. Yeah. You, 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 and him both make me want to get on a list, <laughs> bro. It. I, I'm gonna say, man. I'm. I love my pointers. I love my pointers. But these setters, man. There's something magical about them, man. I don't know. It's just the, the long hair. I can't get over <laughs> the long hair. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it is a a whole lot now. Don't get me wrong. You have to comb it out and do this and do that, but it oh yeah, done. yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things. Once you got used to it, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. I mean, I I love to watch a setter run. Uh, I haven't hunted with a whole lot of setters, but 
I mean, they are beautiful dogs, um, you know, especially the ones that are bred the right way. Right. So in this one, he, he is all fire, my friend, just all fire. Yeah. I mean, I, I was down there with you. Um, I mean, he's a, he is a big dog. I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he was like six or eight months old when you picked him up. He, right. <laughs> uh, he is, he is, no, he was like three or four months. He was, yeah, he's a big dog. What's a, uh, so, what's a breed of dog that interests you? Not necessarily that you might not, that you're going to get, but like, what's a breed of dog that interests you that you don't have? I'll tell you a, a breed of dog that I'm, I'll tell you three that I'm interested in. Matter of fact, cause I'm about mutually on the same that I actually may very well get. The first is, uh, from my buddy, Jennifer Wapinski. She's the uh, editor-in-chief at Project Upland, um, and she's also on the board of Minority Outdoor Alliance. But she has Deutsch long, uh, long hairs, Deutsch uh-huh. Langhars. Um, and I'm, you know me, man. I like crazy American dogs, and she's got them Continentals. But I really, they're like setters yeah. almost. Um, you know, they change colors, and they do all kinds of stuff. But uh I really like the fact that they can, they're still very, the limited pool, it, they're still hunting lines. That's yep. all it is. It's very few people that have them. And I have access to them because through a friend, a very close friend. Um, the next is a red setter. I want me a red setter one day. Um, and the, the next, I, I would, I would love to admittedly breed a drop for myself, like a pointer and a setter mix. Like literally just one day in, in my life, sometime take the best pointer I never had and take the best setter. If I ever got it and just mix them. (laughs) I've never hunted behind a bad dropper before. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of people that have those dogs in there hell of a dogs i mean look at travis frank with with uh with that mix he's got a hell of a dog yeah right 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 you know so it's just about uh you know letting letting that dog you know do its thing and develop but it's it's about what you like i like the way i've also seen a, every drop that i've i've hunted behind it's a mixed breed dog but all of them have been pretty, so <laughs> I think there's a win. And I got some nice looking setters and, and some nice looking pointers. Um, so one day, I don't know, it, it I'm gonna get a wild hair before I die <laughs> and 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 breed me a drop. Well, that's, you know, I think that's very interesting, but I mean, I think that's there's a lot of people that that do it and do it on purpose and have hell of a bird dog you know you know as long as you're not they they used to be in the american field as like an actual field trial like section. right and they were actually a thing now everybody's too bent up on other things and dogs who not gonna get it well and i and and, and I understandably so i mean i'm not against that i clearly you and i both have purebred dogs but I, like I look at the houndsmen and like I love 
those guys because at the end of the day, they need a dog that'll get it done and do the job. So they look for the traits and they breed based on that. Yeah. You know, and, and again, it goes beyond, and again, going back to that Mike Hester thing, like looking at the string of dogs that I have, they're good, but guess what? They're not great. And that's being critically discerning of what you have and breeding for trait. And, and, and that's where we go back to separating that emotion from utility and honesty. Yeah. I think that's the big thing when it comes to dog breeding emotion, you know, everybody gets that whether it's their first dog or their dog that they think is, is great. And they don't, whether they test it or they don't run it with any other, but anybody else, they think that, you know, their dog is the end all be all. And maybe their dog's not as good as they think, or it is, but then they to breed it. And then, you know, are really doing the breeds a, a service if we're not at least, seeing what else is out there and comparing it that way. You got to know what it is that you have. And, and I, I guess like goal setting, man, like what are you working towards? Right. What do you, what do you want your dogs to be the best at or to mm-hmm. suit you the best? But no, those, those breeds, it's interesting. I, um, down at El Soma Plantation, I was down there recently, and they had his dog named Cookie. It's a boy. It's a red setter, and he is just the prettiest, most beautiful working dog I have seen, and he is just rocket fuel, man. Um, but I really want me a red setter one day. I do. They're there, and they went out for a while because they were suffering from too much uh, yep. show breeding, but field prowlers are bringing them back and they're doing really well coming back too. yeah that was a big thing you know they everybody they were the they were a big show dog even though they originally were hunting dogs they you know now I, as you say I, i've started to see it come back um you know in american field and things of that nature of the the resurgence of that breed and it's it's good to see because they are beautiful dogs I think that'd be good, man, and that's awesome. Give us a little rundown of of what you got in your in your string right now. Puppies all the way up, obviously. But so, just, you know who you got, and okay, um, dang, all right. So I've got a lab. That's you know that's Ruger who I started. And I'm really you know just because I'm not duck hunting as much as I used to. You know, I don't hunt him as much, but that was my first dog, and and he's a great dog. He, he's hunted a lot. He's gotten, he's you know been very successful, um, but nothing fancy. But you know, I'm a bird dog guy, so that's kind of where that's a lot of where my interest, you know, lies. Um, my first pointer was Vegas honeymoon in Vegas. He is very much so line bred. L. Hugh uh, goes back to Snakefoot. Uh, L. Hugh, Mr. Magoo, uh, Damascus, uh, Kiwi, Guardrail. Yep, 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 yep. And then, uh, so that's my, my lead male. Uh, my next dog is Jughead, and he is very much so Miller bred, uh, a little bit of L. Hugh sprinkled in there. Um, but definitely goes back to L, uh, not L, but Miller, uh, Miller's yep. silver bullet. 
uh, you know, which is a great champion dog, um, and and guardrail there too. He's he's got a lot of the right build. Um, then let me see who else do I have when I go to drip my next youngest pointer, uh, Frozen Time is his pedigree name. He is very much so L Hugh as well. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of good L Hugh, um, blood there. A lot of old L Hugh. Um, the interesting thing about him was that he came from a, uh, a buddy of mine that I ran track with, um, his father bred like four drip would have been the fourth generation of that line of dogs, um, that he's had hunted over for, for the longest time. So, um, that's the last of my pointers. Um, my setters, my female, my, 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 my oldest female, my oldest setter is my female Rose, Rosa Lee. And, uh, she, I think on her mom's side is a shadow bow granddaughter, um, has some errands, uh, Sean Derrick's, uh, Aaron's hidden shamrock blood in there. Um, and she's a really nice dog, real sweet, tri-color setter. And then, you know, Paul's dog that, you know, my dog that I got from Paul Cook at Alder Fork English Setters, Joker, big Joker. And, uh, you know, he just got all the right stuff in him. His sires, Kaladins, Da Vinci, um, you know, out of Casita, um, AKA Z. Um, and he's got a lot of the right blood in there. Um, you know, some, some of Sean Derrick stuff, um, you know, I don't want to be a pedigree junkie on here and go down the line on, on that, but it comes out of Alder Fork English setters, basically. Um, dang, man. And I, like I said, as far as the rest of the string, I just bought a, a saddlebred horse um, to kind of help me get these dogs on the, on the ground and, and keep running them a little bit further yeah. out like I want to. So that's my whole, that's the whole team, man. Cheyenne Kennels. How would you say that your uh, your training philosophy or methodology has has evolved as you've you know grown your string? Shoot, man! As of yesterday or two days ago, seeing Mike Hester, <laughs> I ain't been doing nothing. That's 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 the truth of it, boy. Like I went from feeling like I was on a high to at the absolute rock bottom as of two days ago. That is how that has evolved. <laughs> Um, no, man, to answer your question, I have gotten progressively more hands off and more interested in simplicity and naturalism and developing my dogs, um, less mechanics, more natural ability, more self-reflection and, more introspection like i used to you don't make a bird dog bird dogs are already made you just bring out that ability and it takes a lot to do that you know and i i I was doing too much beforehand doing too much but not really getting anywhere at all instead of simplifying and and minima minimizing my approach and keeping it as natural as possible 
and learning from people that are doing and accomplishing the same thing over time, I got way more interested in a more natural way of developing a bird dog as best as I can and being okay when it takes me a little bit longer than someone else might see. That's the thing. I also, you know, have been training dogs with, with guys that are field trialers too. So their timeline is different. And before they used to irk me. Now I just kind of have to remember like, bruh, we're, 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 although I am doing trials and stuff like that when I can, I'm mostly guiding hunts and I'm, I'm looking for a different kind of development. Maybe so in that, you know, but as far as what it is that I'm doing with my dogs, I also got way more scrutinizing, um, on what it is that my program is, you know, has been. And unfortunately that, means that you have to cut dogs and I've gotten more honest with that truth. I think that's something we, you know, if we're going to do this, that's something that we have to do. You know, it's like you were talking about earlier when it came to breeding, you've got to take that emotional aspect out of it. You know? Yeah. You know, we always want the best for the dog, whether the dog can be exactly what we want it to be or not. But we also have to realize that if we're going to guide hunts and we're going to do this and that with our dogs, we're going to trial them and test them and things of that nature. We got to make sure that we get out of the dog, what we put into the dog. And it is, it's just a dead honest truth about it. I've, I've had to be more honest over the years with my process and am I doing what's up to snuff for the level that I'm expecting or that people are expecting. Right. You got to be your own biggest critic. You know, I, I'm not really big into various training methods and this and that, because I mean, I learned from, I learned so much from talking to so many different, very high level people. I just figure out a way to incorporate that into what it is, what it is that I'm doing and everybody's doing something different and that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. So I don't, I don't really, as I've gotten more involved in this stuff, man, deeply involved in the bird dog world, particularly like I can respect anybody's training method, man. Like I I'm, I'm not about to sit here and, and try to change that. What I want to do is have people understand the impact that they're leaving on their dogs as they're training and what fingerprints are you leaving on that dog, you know, and, and how natural is it? How natural of a bird finder it is. I thought I had something good. Like I said, until you go out and see, you know, Mike Hester, he critiques what you're doing and you're like, oh man, like I need to hit the drawing board again. And, you know, you go out and and speak to guys like Farrell Miller and, you know, learn how they, they process things. And my mentor, Neil Carter down in Thomasville, see those dogs. Like it, I, I guess I'm always shifting to the beat of a new drum as it needs to present itself when dogs show different holes and different things that they're doing or not doing. You have to learn more to be able to, to, to fill those. Right. You've got to always be able to mix it up to keep those dogs on their toes. So like we talked about earlier, where, you know, your dog doesn't, when you pull up to that field to train or, or even if you're hunting for that matter, um, you know, your dog doesn't run over behind that exact same bush and, Oh, yep. There you go. There's that bird or, you know, cause your dog's not learning right. at that point. 
your dog's just going off of memory right. and, and not ever going to be able to take that next step to become the dog that you want it to be. I know earlier you, you gave us an example of, of a book, kind of a must-read that you would say. What are three must-read books, whether it's based on training, whether it's based on, on history of Bob White or of, of Upland or whatever the case is, what would you say your three must-read books for us would be? Hmm. Okay. Uh, one is Across the Prairies by Robert Franks. Mm -hmm. I'm actually reading that now, but it is by far one of my favorite books. Um, it just came out. Um, it is actually right here, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, right here in my hand. Yep, Across the Prairies by, by Robert Franks, a collection of field trial articles, interviews, and original stories. Um, reason being, it's got a lot of the greatest stories of bird dogs in, 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 in that history in them, you know, recorded, documented. Mm. Um, and it's very recent. You know, I'm, I'm actually going to have him on my podcast. Um, so if you history and, and the great stories, then check that out. My next one is Snakefoot by Robert Whaley. Like, I think that book is is highly inspirational and highly motivating as far as you know the whole narrative of the L. Hugh bloodline and and what it ended up amounting to in the very end. And the impact it had that Robert Whaley had on the bird dog world and and pointers as a breed. Um, dang. And then my last one, a must read. There's so many of them. Um, Guy de la Valdan, uh, The Fragrance of Grass. It, you know, is something about learning about. In, in in understanding nature and understanding our connective you know our connection to it that's very important more important than having yeah, it goes back to dog. that spiritual thing mm -hmm. and he's from down this way and he just gets it as a writer we'll have to get we'll have to get those you said you just ordered snakefoot yeah I actually just ordered snakefoot I've been wanting to read it Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll like it. Um, Snakefoot really, particularly one part in the back of the book, really changed my outlook on how I pursue game and why I shoot a blank pistol a lot of the time. I think that was all. That's always been one one kind of aspect that I've been getting over. Um, was you know seeing all the tailgate full of whatever it is, whether it's ducks or or geese or grouse or whatever the case is. I think it's more about the dog, letting the dog work, fulfill what it's supposed to supposed to do. That's what they were bred for. That's what they're, they're here for. Shoot for me, and I don't know how Hunter feels, but I know for me, if I go out and shoot one bird a year, I'm happy. As long as my dog working how it needs to and, and is finding those birds, I think that's more important than the, than the harvest aspect of it. Right. I think that's true, man. And in knowing that, you know, it keeps your focus, you know, always moving forward. Like it, it makes, it takes the, the killing piece off the table 
you know, and that then becomes the end result of good work instead of just persistence in the field. You know, when you're focusing on that caliber of dog work and being able to take the gun out of it for the short amount of time that you do and just focus on what's important, I think that that that's what then increases the appreciation, you know, for for hunting and conservation, what we're doing. You're you're putting together a very beautiful picture. Yeah, and that that brings me uh, I know we know we're running kind of long. I'm not going to keep it too, too long, but um, as you about that that caliber of dog work that you you know that you strive and i think obviously I, once i bought and it showed me the caliber of dog that that i want you know having that broke dog she was the first broke dog that i ever saw mm -hmm. run um why why do you strive for that i mean obviously for obviously that's the standard that you set for yourself but also like from a safety aspect i think it plays a big role especially as you guide um, and it gives you a little bit of your thoughts mm -hmm. on, on why you want that caliber. Cause I mean, obviously you can hunt with a dog that as long as that dog will point and stay there until you're there, whatever happens after that, you can hunt with that dog. But why, why do you, why not get to that level? Like somebody that really inspires me is Simone Biles. Like the girl does all kinds of flips and crazy stuff like that and just continues to break records right. for the sake of doing it. So the why is the competition against oneself? Like if I can strive to, to own a dog on my string and develop it to the highest level possible. And that level is always moving forward. Why not? My motivation is just why not? And it's always something, it's it's a very long shot rabbit to chase, but I ain't got none but time. If this bird dog thing is going to be a lifetime pursuit, I have nothing but time to chase and pursue my system and, and, and string and organization to be the best that it can possibly be for the sake right. of just being that. I'm making the hunting experience that much better, but I'm also challenging myself to say, okay, <clears throat> like, okay, what, what more or better can I do? And what am I not, what, you know, like what, what's the greater impact that I can leave? Right. I think, <clears throat> I think as you, and obviously you, you've got it more than we have, but like, there's something to be said when, when a guy has a broke dog, when somebody sees that, especially if somebody's never seen it for the first time and your dog does that on a wild covey of birds, it leaves that lasting impact. Right. Well, it does. And it's showmanship, man. Like it's, it's being able to show polish and there's pride in that. And, and to see a dog that looks natural and looks good on its birds that often and that consistently and comfortably, that's the thing of beauty, man. Like, again, my explanation for why is why not? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's like you said, it's a work of art to get your dog to that point. And, you know, if you want to do it, why not try to like, strive to be the best at it? Man, let me tell you something. Like, I'm an artist and 
I've sold paintings for a lot of money and, and blessed to, to say that I have. And a lot of people ask like, man, why do people pay that much money for something to sit on a wall like that? Right. And at the end of the day, it's the aspiration it, it it really, I mean, there's a lot of different like greater themes and concepts that I can attribute to it. But at the end of the day, why not? Why not own a Basquiat? Why not? Like, yeah. tell me why not? Why not own a broke dog to not, to just look at a work of art? You yeah. see what I'm saying? There's like, a level of pride not? behind that. For sure. There, it, yeah. Like, there is all the ego in the world to say I developed <laughs> that dog. I put the time and did everything. And please look at the dog on point. Yes, those birds just flushed. That's fine. We'll find more. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one thing that gets kind of it can get lost is what your dog does after that flush. You know, me, me, you, Jordan, like we we look at it as that finished project or that work of art where everybody else looks at that covey rise as the magical glory moment. And it is, it, it is in its own way, but it also shows how much time and effort you've put into that dog to make it to what it is. It's just one of those things you have to, it's about the process, man. It's about observing and examining the process and being engaged in that. And, you can't, you just got to love that, man. Like you got to love the development. Like I loved finding out that I wasn't as hot, hot a thing as I thought I was, you know what I'm saying? Like, because that just gives me something else to work towards and a greater appreciation of what nature can really be when you polish it. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's, that's the way I've looked at it now. Um, once I bought Ann from you is why, why don't I want all my dogs to get to that point? You know? And, and, and bro, when you got Ann from me, like, you know, that dog, she was like right. really yeah, yeah. messed up when I got her and I got her and like got her to where she got wanted to hunt again. Like, why would you want to mess up a dog like Ann? You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Why? Yeah, I mean, she, she's been the greatest it, thing that could have happened to me as far as an actual dog being able to learn because she's so willing to please you and to show you what, what she's capable of. Well, that's good to hear, man. I'm I'm glad yeah. that you... you just She set a standard for me, that's and, really good you know, I understand why she she didn't set the standard for you. And I totally understand that, you know, you were looking for something different than what I am looking for. Um, for me, she sets that. Mm-hmm. Well, the same kind of polish, just right. a different it, range. It, there was, That's all, you know, there's nothing wrong with her at all. She just didn't run the race that you wanted her to run. Nope. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, speaking of, We'll we'll leave you with, leave you with this one one last thing, but I gotta know what. Uh, give us a quick little recap of of the Black Antlers trial that you ran in March. <laughs> oh, Best for last. Man. Okay. Yeah, 
say the best piece for last. Best for last. All right. So, uh, there were, it was hot, first of all. I'm going to preface it with it was hot. I'm also going to preface it with I am currently wearing the snake belt from the very large rattlesnake that almost struck me. <laughs> so, well, that rattlesnake's a huh. belt now. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a belt now, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling all the cool stuff first. But, uh, you know, we, it was Neil, Neil's horse almost stepped on a rattlesnake and uh, we asked for somebody with a pistol and Buddy came around and shot the snake in the head <laughs> off the back of his horse. We were all he, very, he done that very thoroughly impressed. He had done that a time or two. I'm sorry. We I can ride a horse, but I ain't shooting a snake in the head from the back of a horse behind me <laughs> with a pistol. Like with a pistol. <laughs> Buddy is John Wayne. Let me tell you that. Okay. So that was one of the other highlights. That snake is I I had expressed the fact that I wanted the snake belt. Um or I wanted the snake. Matter of fact, because it was still wriggling around and stuff like that. But um, one of the guys there, Curtis's brother, Paris, picked it up and threw it in the dog box. And it was still like moving around in the dog box a little bit um, on the wagon. But, you know, it was just bleeding out and dying. And I had told everybody I wanted the, um, you know, wanted it to make a belt out of it, matter of fact. And I was, because the owners of the plantation um, were friends with the guys that that had a snake in their possession, um, they basically asked if they could gift it to me uh, for doing my Dogman film for, you know, with Onyx. They really liked it um, and they were grateful. So they wanted me to, wanted to give me that snake belt. So I'm really grateful to them uh, for that. But so that was one of the other highlights of the trial. Um, there was, we were running dogs in like 70, 80 degree heat. So it was hot. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people's dogs either got picked up just straight heat. Like literally a, a lot of that was just because of that. Well, um, it really got good during my brace and afterwards. Um, but I will tell you about Willie Sims who got third place and he was earlier um, in the brace. And, and, and Willie, if you uh, have the gun dog magazine article, um, red Hill reminiscences in, you know, it's in gun dog magazine, the guy that's got his hat up tipped and he's on his horse. That's Willie. Well, I wrote that article, but he had a really nice race. Um, can't remember the dog's names. He's running a pointer, a uh, male pointer. Um, and he had had, I think, three or four finds, you know, straight broke, um, ran a really nice shooting dog race um, and made it through the whole brace. Um, so then comes me. And I was second to last. Yeah, I was second to last um, in the entire running. And I was running my dog Vegas. Well, 
you know, I put Vegas on the ground, blew the whistle, and Willie, my brace mate who who runs for El Salmo Plantation, um, Willie decided that it would be smarter just to pick his dog up. It was too hot. Well, I knew Vegas would be able to run in the heat and was acclimated to it, and that dog would basically run balls to the wall for me, um, you know, in any condition. He's just that dog. I have that with him as far as relationship. Well, we're running and we're doing our thing. And I mean, he is just running a, a an incredible shooting dog race. I'm listening to the judges uh, talk about, well, God dang, we, you know, we might have, you know, we might have to put some giddy up in our horses. Like we might have to do this thing. In Vegas. I mean, he is rolling, like covering ground, casting, singing. I'm, I mean, just, just doing his thing. I'm, I'm, he, he is handling the, to everything I need him to do. Um, well, we get to this straight breakaway and I mean, it's just a dead on beautiful run, uh, up through this break, um, through some wire grass and at the top of the hill, about, about 200 yards away, there is a, a, a direct right to continue on the course, like a 90 degree turn. And if you do it right, that dog would cast and be a really pretty um, show for the judges. And I knew what I was coming up on. So I go and I blow my my other whistle and I call Vegas back in. Well, I call Vegas back in, do a little Farrell Miller trick and it's water your dog before they need to be yep. watered. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't let your dog get tired water him before they need to. So I pick him up and I know about his pace and it was the right time to make this cast. So then I, um, I call him and I, I watered down his whole back, watered down his tongue, really got him good and, and, and rehydrated, posed him up, got back on my horse, blasted on the whistle and just wailed on that joker. And he soared down that strip of 200 yards. I mean, just soared like a freaking angel. And I, I, by the time he got to the end of it, I called and I sang and cast him to the right and boy, did that dog hit that beautiful right turn. Everybody in the gallery was up on their feet, according to my wife. The dog swings around there and shortly thereafter, wham, jams up wild covey of quail you couldn't ask for a better presentation you couldn't you couldn't paint a better picture you couldn't write about that i was thoroughly impressed with the way that that dog handled that cast into a covey of wild birds so i get there i also turn my horse a little trick too you turn your horse to the side yep. it's showmanship man like you know what I'm saying? You letting everybody know, look, listen up. You turn your horse to the side, it's kind of obvious. Well, everybody's looking on their toes. I get in there, ride to them, go to flushing around, covey of birds gets up, bow, shoot my gun. Um, He stands through the flush. And as I'm walking towards Vegas, to grab him by the collar because I was a ways away from him. And birds flushing, I was a ways away, so I had to get to him to pick him up. 
two other random quail fly right over his head. Directly over his head. And of course, he takes a half a step to chase that, to, to try to catch the bird. Doesn't go anywhere, but takes a half a step. And I was like, God dang it. And it was questionable. And I looked up and I said, Mr. Judge, what you think? And he said, just a little bit too much for me. I said, well, I appreciate it, Mr. Judge. Ain't no sense of continuing to run this dog in the heat if he ain't going to place anyway. So I'd also left my tracking collar with that same judge. So throughout the next brace, I ride up to him and I say, hey, Mr. Judge, can I get my collar back? He says, yeah, man. He was like, man, honestly, that dog looks so good. We wanted it. We wanted it for you. But that half a step, you got to pick him up. And, but I mean, that kind of performance, I was really excited about um, regardless. And it just gives me something to go back to the drawing board with. Now, the brace after that was where the real action happened. And uh, that was first and second place winner. So, Lil Curtis Jr., my homeboy, uh, Curtis Bruce, who gave me Jughead, his, his, his son. So, if I had made it through that flush, the next part of the course, oh, I would have been jam up into birds. Jam up into birds. All of them. Like, Curtis's brace flushed probably four or five coveys, maybe six <laughs> coveys in that whole brace in the next part of the course. And the only reason we didn't make it to the next part of the course, cause I picked up. So, I mean, just the dog work was beautiful. The races were beautiful. They, both of those guys, Curtis and um, Bernard, uh, I think his name is Bernard Parker um, or Parks. But anyway, they earned that, win i mean they seriously earned that win it was dog work and bird work for days you know and so that was that was the summary of the trial there was a lot of other stuff that went on but that's that, awesome those that, were kind of like the moments as you're painting that picture i mean i i got chills, <laughs> you know, that, that's awesome it sounds like it was i've been dying to hear that story about what happened um i knew obviously that you had a a really good race going. And then, you know, I didn't know what happened after that, but I mean, that <laughs> I was going to do a podcast about it and I still am. I just hadn't gotten around to it yet. So you're the first person that actually, the first podcast <laughs> actually has first. That whole story, <laughs> or that, that partially full story. That's awesome. I mean, the only thing that I've seen that's anywhere similar to that is I watched a buddy run a dog in a, in an AKC master test and basically the same, same type of situation, you know, these were pen race birds, but, um, you know, he went, went to flush the bird and the bird flew within like a foot of the dog and the dog took just one little step and he looked at the judge and the judge looked at him and said, well, it's just a little bit too much. You have to pick your dog up. I mean, that, that just shows you, though, that, like. Look, that, you, you ain't going to never forget this a little bit too much. That's all. Yeah, I, I will never now. forget those words. But it's just, it, that shows you, though, that, that those dogs do, though. Just a little bit too much. Mm. Let's put that on a.
Yeah, that, that's just a little too much there. A little yeah. too much. <laughs> just, just, a little bit too, just a little too much for me. Man. He said, that man said, just, it's just a little bit too much <laughs> Come for on, man. I said, oh, Lord. Mm. All right, so uh, are you going to run any other trials? I mean, obviously, I know trial season is, is ending now as, you know, we're starting to get into the heat of our our year in the southeast. But are, are you going to run any more trials or are you just going to stick with that? No, I'm going to uh I'm definitely gonna run uh some more dogs. I'm really interested in running this Joker dog that I have um you know in some puppy trials and and getting him going uh as that gets closer. So yeah, I'm planning on it. Yeah, I just figure out the time to That's figure always out the hardest part. Do. Figure out how you can get to him with everything else going on. Obviously we look forward to following along on that journey. Um I mean, we, we appreciate this, man. It's, it's been fun. Um, obviously everybody, you know, everybody knows where to find you on Instagram and stuff and the sporting life notebook. Um, you got any, any closing thoughts for us? No, uh, I mean, man, I'm just grateful that you had me on, um, you know, keep your dogs in the field and keep learning. That's, that's really it. Like, you know, there, there's nothing that I can say to anybody else that I wouldn't, you know, want to that i wouldn't take to my own advice man you're always learning you're always learning and that's what it's about man like keep critiquing like i'm just in that phase of just keep critiquing your own process you know it's never right yep somebody's always out working it might not be in your area but it's somewhere else um i appreciate the you know as we, me and you have gotten to know know each other pretty well, um, you know, we look forward to sharing the field with you again this year in North Carolina and Georgia and you know wherever else we can. Um, but I just I appreciate it, man. It's been a blast. Um, you've taught me a whole lot, um, and hopefully, I've been able to pass a little bit of that along on to Jordan and things of that nature. But it's been really fun to to get to know you, and uh, we look forward to following your journey and. Hopefully we'll we'll be able to put some stuff out there that that gets up there with you, and, and just keep growing our, our our string of dogs. No man, I I appreciate it, man. I appreciate y'all's friendship. Um, I'm humbled that y'all would ask me to to podcast. So thank you so much.